0: Welcome, everybody, to a new episode of the Full Spectrum Podcast. I'm the host, Aaron Bean, and I am here to have a conversation. Uh, This podcast is about having conversations with people from a wide variety of, of hobbies and occupations and outlooks and perspectives so that we can all learn from each other. And today, I've got two friends with me. I've got Zach Rancourt and Ryan Bowman, who uh, have never met each other. They don't know anything about one another, aside from the fact that they each know me. And what I'm hoping to do is talk about two subjects that are near and dear to each of our hearts. So uh, in brief, those topics are going to be real estate in the housing market, uh, CBD products and the endocannabinoid system. Hopefully I said that right. Uh, other podcasts that Zach has, which is called Don't Be Crazy, which is a movie-centered podcast, Elon Musk and the acquisition of Twitter, Greta Thunberg and her epic takedown, of Andrew Tate, Cobra Tate, sleeping in a Romanian jail as we speak, and topic number six, which is what Zach thinks is the most bingeable show of all time, that being The Office. So, Let's dive right into an introduction. So how about Ryan first? Would you give us a little bit of an insight into who you are and what you like
1: to talk about? All right. My name is Ryan. Uh, I go by Rybo. I own Rise CBD. It's a CBD products company. I live in Bellingham. Uh, Obviously, I like to talk about CBD and hemp (laughs) and helping uh, society move forward in a positive direction that's sustainable and takes the best of what have we been shown and improves upon it so that we move forward a little bit more clearly and continue to improve for the future generations that are here to come. Uh, I like talking about pretty much most subjects that are centered around those things, but also, you know, quirky things as well. I've lived a pretty decent life and feel that I've been well-rounded.
0: Okay, awesome. Thank you for the intro. Zach, tell us about you. Hi, I'm
2: Zach Rancourt. I uh, grew up in the Skagit Valley, uh, but I live in Seattle, and I'm just a cool guy who has two podcasts, and I'm very humble about them. I don't tell anybody about my podcasts.
0: Well, that's the opposite of the point of a podcast, man. You got to you gotta chat yourself up. It's I was just down in Burlington uh, a little bit before this going car shopping, so I uh, love going down to the Skagit. What are you looking to buy? Uh, well, uh, I'm thinking about getting a new Corolla hybrid cause they have an all wheel drive version and they get like 50 miles to the gallon. So I'm like, if I could get out of my house when it snows and get really good gas mileage and it's only like 27,000 for a brand new car.
1: Uh, yeah. We just rented a Honda CRV and went to Quinault and nice. it was amazing. We spent from here to Quinault and back, we spent like $50 in gas. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it it's was crazy. Like, <laughs> it,
0: it, people driving the gas gullers, guzzlers nowadays, I just don't get it. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, that's not one of our topics for today. The first topic is real estate and housing market, because for those who don't know, which is probably everybody, uh, I am a realtor. I work in real estate. My, my goal and my mission is to deliver the dream of home ownership and to help people in our local community build net worth over the long term by owning real estate and assets that appreciate. And But, but I, I wasn't always that way. And I was thinking about this the other day and prior to age, uh, I would say 31, I never once thought about buying a house. I never thought it wasn't something I planned on doing it. It wasn't a priority. I just was living with a friend. And for some reason, I never had anybody in my life that was like, Hey, you should buy a house because you know, when the housing market was down in the dumps in 2012, I i I might have been able to buy a house who knows but i never did even though my parents owned a house my whole life growing up it just wasn't something i thought about until i got into real estate as a career and then i realized man i screwed up in not getting a house earlier you know there was probably opportunities there and i wanted to talk a little bit about what real estate uh, is doing right now and what it's going to be doing in the future so everybody knows the real estate market went on a crazy, crazy surge from 2020 through really like middle of 2022. We saw just this huge spike in uh, housing prices, but it also correlated with a really low interest rate that was being offered by the banks. So the key metric that uh, one should look at when they're talking about housing is the affordability index. Like Regardless of what house prices are, what's the affordability index? And what we saw ironically, is housing get much less affordable in the last year, even though the prices are high because the interest rates skyrocketed. And we're seeing now people would have a six to $900 higher monthly payment for the exact same house because instead of a 2.5% interest rate, they're now 65 So we're seeing a huge shift in people's ability to buy homes. And I wonder how that's going to impact this younger generation that we're we're all a part of, in terms of our ability to buy homes, and is that going to affect people's uh, desire to own homes? So, Ryan, uh, if for those who don't know, we met because you're a client of mine, and I helped you and your lovely lady Jules uh, purchase a condo that you're sitting in. So, tell me a little bit about what your impression is of housing based on your first couple years of, of real estate ownership?
1: Um, first impression, if you can, don't get into an HOA. Second <laughs> impression, um, is it's really, uh, it's a difficult scenario, especially here in Bellingham. As you know, um, the amount of available housing in the amount of people that need housing is way out of, way out of sync, um, to a very detrimental point. And that leaves predatory landlordship where they are just able to take rent prices to a crazy level. And that's kind of what drove me and Jules to getting into this thing. I grew up with a real estate uh, associated stepmother who definitely talked to me about buying a house a lot. But um, I just don't, don't buy into a lot of those things. I don't think the system's very well-suited to continue. It constantly is going through cycles of, uh, that don't make sense. And I think that it, it really, for me and my mindset, it's like, I just don't understand. We've got a lot of empty houses and a lot of homeless people. And, you know,
0: so would you say overall you're pessimistic about the real estate in the future?
1: Uh, yeah. Um, the world economic forum, you know, you know that what they said in 2017, you'll own nothing and you'll love it. And... But That's not good. That's the reverse of
0: home ownership. That's people just be, like falling into that rent trap that you talked about with predatory land. Like somebody's got to own the houses. Yeah. You know. And it's like, is it going to be corporations or the government or
1: people? Well, I mean, I think it's pretty evident that if you look at the situation where they're headed, I mean, they're forcing it. We can't afford these younger generations. They can't afford it. A, it's a half a million to a million dollars to buy a tiny little house that's out of whack. That's over mm-hmm. 60, 70 years old. They can't afford to invest that. And if they do, then they put themselves in debt trying to make it livable. And I think that's pre-planned because the people in charge, like the World Economic Forum and these corporations, are setting it up so that by 2030, you will own nothing and you'll love it, or you'll figure a way to scrap by and be a small percentage of homeowners.
0: Uh, 2030, that's too soon. I don't think anything's going to happen on that radical of a shift in that short of a time frame. It usually takes takes time for these things to progress. So- Zach, you live in Seattle, and you have had a pretty sweet deal on your apartment that you've gotten in Ballard in a sweet location. And so you're you're in a unique situation because you're not out looking for new places to rent, and you're having to pay, pay these super exorbitant prices down there. But also, I know the housing in Seattle is so expensive to buy. So what's your perspective on like affordability and the prospects of, of buying a home?
2: Yeah, it's quite expensive down here. Uh, it kind of makes you sad when you see new builds put up, townhouses down in the alleyway that don't look that nice. I mean, I would take it because it's brand new and the modern look is kind of cool. But when you check the list price, it's like 900000 Yeah, And I mean, it's even it's even going outside of, of Seattle. You see it everywhere. I, like my girlfriend lives in North Bend and there are condos or townhouses that are being built right next to her that say starting in the nine hundred thousands. And I about <laughs> shit myself because I'm like in North Bend, <laughs> There are houses here in Ballard that I've seen for 700 So it's like, I would rather take that house than a brand new condo in North Bend. I'm, but anyhow, um, I like renting. I, I fell into a really good situation with my rent. My landlords are awesome. They believe in rent control. So my location and all the stuff around me is, it, it's well suited for me. And I do want to find a house some one of these days, but I'm in no rush. Um, I agree with Ryan that, Buying a house is, it's, 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 I don't know, I would love to do it, but it's getting harder and harder as the years go on to even approach the table, you know, before I can buy the dinner. So it's, it's, it's a tricky situation, but I do love Seattle a lot and I do have my neighborhoods I would like to live in.
0: Yeah. And I wish I could bring up the graphs of the affordability because I think it's really interesting to look at how affordability used to be relatively flat. You know, it had dips. It had, you know, when 2008 happened, all of a sudden housing became super affordable because prices had crashed and the banks lowered the interest rates tremendously to incentivize buying, even though a lot of people couldn't because it was a recession. Um, And I'm not one of those realtors who's just always like, oh, everybody should buy a house. It's, you know, no matter what, buy a house, buy a house. Like for some people, it's not possible or it wouldn't make sense for their lifestyle. Like I totally get that. Um, But I do think that for most people, there are options that they can get that are affordable and will suit their lifestyle. Like, Ryan, if you feel comfortable, what's your monthly mortgage payment?
1: Uh, Plus HOA fees, because that's the major difference.
0: Yeah, your total, total, like your uh, mortgage, January to- all in
1: each month. We're mortgage plus HOA fees puts us around sixteen, seventeen hundred. Our HOA fees more than doubled since you paid for since we bought this place with you. Yeah, jeez.
0: Oh, yeah, you. And well, it's a pain he, in the ass. That was also a really shitty situation, but it was you know <laughs> unpredictable right? because there was that issue with the the property manager. And, anyway, but you Predatory. know, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I trust me. I heard it. <laughs> um, so what do you think you're, if you were to rent that, that, uh, condo or if your neighbors are renting, what are they renting
1: for? Oh, you could easily, especially with Bellingham, if you're just looking at it mathematically and you're not taking into equation the benefits of Zach's landlords who are just awesome and have good souls, uh, you could easily rent a two bedroom here for anywhere from 18 to $2,000 a month. Easy. Not even a question. Um, I could rent. I have a three bedroom. I could probably rent mine for anywhere around 22 to 24.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. And so like (laughs) in your situation, you're actually saving money by owning that property as opposed to renting it. If you were trying to rent it, you're paying out the nose, you know? So in your situation, it made sense. You know, for some people it doesn't. But um, I think it's one of those things that everybody just has to make a financial decision about. But if it is something that's realistic and feasible, and um, fits their lifestyle, like they don't want to move every two years, you know, then I think, you know, everybody would benefit from it. So with that said, let's move on to our next topic. So Ryan, this is your topic. It's your CBD company, Rise Up, the endocannabinoid system and hemp.
1: Yeah. So Rise CBD, me and my wife are massage therapists, uh, each of us for over 15 years. So together, we got a lot of time. We decided to take that knowledge and that wisdom and put it into a CBD product. This market space is evolving. It's the Wild West. Everything is moving in a regulatory way. Um, And we've been able to forecast pretty accurately, as my dog intersects, the uh, changes that have been happening we go ahead and uh, we've created a CBD topical company using some of the time-tested ingredients that we use in our massage world and applied that to the full spectrum CBD benefits and created something really great for people. We've been pushing a, a, a mission statement of elevate with education, alleviate with application and strengthen with community. We just had an event at Menace Brewery, shout out to them. And, uh, brought the community together to get some data and opinion base from them. Uh, Really interested in the CBD space for a lot of reasons, not just for the topical stuff, but for the way it can help society and uh, how industrial hemp um, is misunderstood and so many different benefits, how it can really change the infrastructure and create jobs, revitalize the soil, revitalize the nutrients in our uh, everyday products that we're ingesting. Um, so, you know, it can help with climate change, uh, health industry, a lot of different things. So what do you think
0: is the the, the most important, like uh, application for CBD? Because you, you've mentioned a lot of really important sounding ones, but I'm like, which one's really going to change the world?
1: Well, you know, CBD, if we're talking about strictly CBD, I think that CBD is going to be exceptionally integral in health because CBD is understood as a, Widely misunderstood as a drug, and it's really a vital nutrient. Our bodies create endogenous cannabinoids, and we have an endocannabinoid system, which requires cannabinoids to operate. And so helping boost that system with phytocannabinoids, which you can get from hemp or cannabis or a lot of other foods, actually, is a really key thing. But I think when we're talking about hemp in general, I think the biggest thing that's going to come from hemp is actually infrastructure. I think that's the biggest market by a long shot. I think it's going to end up being one of the biggest markets to ever grace the Western economy.
0: Yeah. Well said. So what questions do you have for us about uh, the CBD and hemp world?
1: So Aaron, uh, this one's shooting at you. What do you see as the biggest potential for hemp in general? I guess we're just reiterating and regurgitating what I just said.
0: Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think, my, my knowledge of what hemp is and can be and is used for and could be used for in the future is much uh, limited compared to yours. Uh, but I have, you know, seen a little bit about different uses that it can have. And a lot of it, like you said, it's tied with in- infrastructure. Like, for example, uh, supposedly Henry Ford made the bumpers of the early Model T from hemp. And it was a lighter and stronger more dent resistant than uh, other alternatives at the time certainly they didn't have plastic but even compared to plastic that's commonly used now um, it's not as strong and not as durable or um, also it's it's heavier than hemp and so that would be one major major use but also the clothing that i think we can reduce the the need for uh, certain textiles and also with concrete because hempcrete is a, is a suitable alternative to uh, concrete and is much less damaging in, the, in terms of the byproducts and the effects that it can have on your respiratory system. Like the creation of hempcrete offers basically no significant health concerns uh, for workers using it, whereas if you're working with concrete, it's well known you, you don't breathe in concrete dust because it's going to give you the cancer. So I think that's uh, probably the biggest potential that I see is how we can eliminate some of the fossil fuels we use in terms of creating plastics. We switch over to hemp, you know, products, and then also building materials using concrete, you know, roads, houses uh, can be all be used with hemp.
1: Oh, that's very well put for someone that says uh, you didn't know much. Sounds like you know quite a bit, but you know. <laughs> Um, so Zach, Not as much as you, I, you know, I, this is my life. I am <laughs> literally working with state legislature and trying to move things forward. But, um, so Zach, what do you, what are some ways that you see yourself using hemp based products, CBD in your day to day life and whatnot here in the, in, in the right now and in the future?
2: Oh man, I don't know nothing about no ropes or no hempcrete or anything like <laughs> that. But uh, I definitely use CBD um, lotion instead of Icy Hot or things like that. One, because I like to smell better. And two, um, I believe it just feels better when I have an achy muscle or an achy joint or something weird. I would prefer that topical cream over an Icy Hot. Um, so I really appreciate that. I don't have an issue sleeping. I know people who like to uh, ingest CBD because it helps them sleep. But um, I took an edible today, half of an edible, and I feel great. Um, so I think that those are those are the ways on the basic level that it'll be useful for me. But I, yeah, I'm I, di- I didn't do homework like Aaron did about resources for hemp. I'm just
0: I, hey, man, I didn't either. <laughs> I just I
2: just have. This yeah, knowledge. I bet. I'm sure. <laughs> so but yeah, well, yeah, for quick-
1: it. Quick shout out for you using the cream, uh, you know, try some Rise CBD Balm. We have a specific cream which incorporates not just CBD full spectrum, but we put in arnica, comfrey, marjoram oil, a whole bunch of different ingredients that have been used for over a thousand years in different cultures and different parts of society that are proven to give a lot of exceptional benefits. So it's good for anything on your skin. It's not just muscle pain. Acne, psoriasis, eczema, athlete's foot, anything that's on the outside of your body, this stuff one-stop shops you. Wow.
0: Yeah, and speaking of, Rye, uh, how do people find your product? Like what's your website? What's your social handles? All that stuff.
1: Yeah, you can go to Rise RyesCBD.com. Little play on words the wife came up with because she's fantastic. And uh, social media handle, uh, our Facebook business page is at Up cbd and then our instagram and twitter are at rise cbd you can find us at any of those we're really open to uh having communication we want to talk to people like i said our first mission statement is elevate with education and there's a lot to do we gotta we gotta break a lot of the reefer madness uh mindset and so there's a lot ahead of us, and we wanted one-on-one conversations. We'll zoom with you. We'll break it down in layman's terms if that's necessary, and we'll also have you know more technical conversations with the people that need to have those.
0: That's awesome, and it is interesting, like the the stigmatization that weed has had up until not that long ago. You know, in Washington and Colorado, weed was legalized in 2012, but it was crazy that we were still before that banning hemp, you know, and banning industrial hemp production because it doesn't even produce the the trichromes and the THC unless you made it a certain way right so mm-hmm. it's 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 too bad that we've missed out on all this uh this time with this product okay. and another exciting thing is podcasts and in fact uh, one of the people on this podcast has a couple other podcasts that he hosts one of which uh is called don't be crazy zach tell us about it
2: yeah so i love film Movies are a passion of mine. It definitely came on. Well, ever since I was a young kid, but it came on strong in my early 20s when I just just started loving film. Actually, shit. I mean, probably I was 18 or 19. Anyhow, um, I started looking at ways to analyze film a little more just because I watch it so much. And then so I got connected with an old friend and he helped set me up with this podcast life. And we just kind of went from there, started real grassroots and we grew a bit from there. We're not famous or anything, but we have a pretty solid following, and it's been a blast. Just, um, it's called Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm the host. I have guests on it. Aaron has been on it a couple times. Mm-hmm. We'll never talk about his favorite movie, The Fountain, but you son of a he bitch, can, he can ask every single time. So, yeah, I've been doing that. It's such a good movie. I've been doing it for about four years now, and like I like I said, it's just a really fun hobby.
1: Yeah. Awesome.
0: So. Excellent. Since the year just ended, I know Zach's watched pretty much every movie that's come out. Zach? No. uh, Well, a lot of them. What were your favorite movies of this year or last year? 2022 was a really good year for film.
2: Um, I I'll just preface all this by saying I'm not a, a critic or anything like that. I mean, I critique film, but it doesn't mean I'm a film critic. So these are movies that I liked. I'm sure there are some that might be a little more artsy that are could be looked at as better or some that are just popcorn flicks that could be looked at as better. But these are the ones that I thought and I'll go like in no particular order. But it was a 2020 U- 2022 was a great year for horror films. We got a lot of uh, horror films and um, sequels and reboots. Some of them were pretty terrible, but this one stood out. This is a a brand new series called X. Uh, It was a horror film with Mia Goff and a whole bunch of other people. And uh, basically they made a sequel right away. And that also came out in 2022. And that was Pearl. But X for sure. Uh, Barbarian. Uh, The Menu. Um, The Menu was one that kind of just I went into it ab- no, not knowing a single thing. And I absolutely love it. I was just I was just eating the whole goddamn thing up. No pun intended. It, it, it was it was but unreal. It's... I won't say anything else about it because I think everyone needs to go into it. with It was fine knowing nothing. Now, ki- I was I, I
1: worked was in good. a kitchen and so I've worked on both sides in the front and the back of the house. If you have that experience, that movie was absolutely stellar. Yeah. Like I, it was really well done. I agree with you hundred percent.
2: Yeah. Uh, Prey. That was fantastic. That was the predator kind of requel reboot thing. Deadstream, which uh, is this horror film. It's a found footage horror film, uh, kind of like a, U- a YouTuber does it, but it's very good. It's on shutter glass onion. Um, part of the knives out story. I really loved it. I thought it was so fun. It was obvious, but at the same time it absolutely wasn't. And I thought it was brilliant. Um, The Fablemans Steven Spielberg's very intimate uh, basically his biopic uh, but not really it it, but for a good a good chunk of the film it is so anyhow that one's fantastic Um, and then this one surprised me I went into it expecting cheese but I didn't go into it expecting it to be this damn good and that was Top Gun Maverick Um, I absolutely love that movie I've I've seen it like three times it's nominated for best uh, best movie at the Oscars and our best picture, I should say. I'm like blown away that Top Gun: Maverick made that list. It's that's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah. yeah. Who's expecting that?
2: No, I mean shit. Tom Cruise wasn't even expecting that. So good for them. Um, nope. Nope was a fantastic. Jordan Peele's movie. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was beautifully shot, and um, everything about that movie is amazing. The Batman. I am a huge Batman fan, so seeing that was incredible. Seeing it in IMAX was incredible. It's just, yeah, the score, it was, Pattinson did a really good job as Batman. And then my my favorite movie of the year last year, I just watched it again the other night, and it gets sadder and happier and all that stuff with each viewing. But it's everything, everywhere, all at once. That movie is perfection. It is the best movie of the year. No one can tell me otherwise. It's, It's unbelievably good. So...
0: Yeah, so what are some movies that you're looking forward to for this year? For this year? I don't know.
2: I'm, I'm kind of marveled out, honestly. Um, that, that shit just bugs me. I don't really want to see any no, any more Marvel movies. Uh, I am excited. There are going to be... There's the Evil Dead remake. I can't remember what it's called. Um, it's like a, not a remake. It's like a sequel, but in a, a different family, but it's in the same kind of world. Anyhow, that looks incredible. Um, then there is can't remember what what else oh scream six i'm a huge horror film fan so i love the scream franchise so that'll be fun uh not i can't really think of anything else because i was thinking about this oppenheimer yeah oppenheimer is gonna be really good my biggest thing though right now well not right now but in the past five or six years i don't like trailers anymore because it ruins it ruins too much of a movie for me Mm. um if they would go back to the way trailers used to be when we're done with this uh google search or go to youtube and just type in terminator 2 trailer watch that trailer it it tells you pretty much nothing and it's like a zoomed in skull or something like that and you just kind of have to watch it but that that's how trailers should be man they should get you pumped and not tell you a goddamn thing about the movie
0: yeah, I, I will say that's true. I, I do love trailers, but they do show a little bit too much these days. She'll it's like too much. It's like oh. Cliff Notes of the whole movie. You don't even need to watch now.
1: Me, me and Jules say exactly that same thing. We like we'll go to like watch something on our, you know, whatever app we're doing, and like, oh, watch the trailer. And like we only give ourselves 15 seconds and then we just stop it. And it's like, OK, we can watch it now because if you watch the whole trailer, you know, the whole plot of the movie.
0: Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, yeah I agree. Okay, so let's do some Oscar predictions. Okay, so I'll read off some nominees. You guys give me if you think any of them are a shoe it Best Picture. All Quiet on the Western Front.
2: The Banshees
0: of Inisharin. Are you going to read them all and then... Yeah,
2: and then then let me know which one
0: you think is going to win. Oh, okay. Elvis. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. That one. The Fablemans. (laughs) Tar. Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking.
2: My, can I tell you who I think is going to win, or who I want to win, and who I think is going to actually win? Yes. So I want Everything Everywhere All at Once to to win, and I, I think it's also actually going
0: to win. So. Oh, all right. Yeah. Same answer. <laughs> no and surprise also, there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rye, what do you think? I have so not
1: seen Everything Everywhere All at Once, but the people that I have talked to that are very inclined to make judgments in that area have said nothing but spectacular things about it. And I mean, it's at the level where it feels like it's just the obvious winner. Yeah, um, they're, they're knowledgeable and I, I trust their judgment.
0: Plus, there's a lot of representation of, of the Asian community in that movie. So I think mm-hmm. that's going to help it get some steam, too. Hope so. OK, Okay. so best director, Martin McDonough for The Banshees of Anishirin. Daniel Kwan for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, Steven Spielberg for The Fablemans, Todd Field for Tar, and Ruben Ostland for The Triangle of Sadness.
2: So I think it's going to be um, Steven Spielberg, and I'm split because I actually do want Spielberg to win for that, but um, I kind of want Martin McDonough to win because I have not seen The Banshees of Inisherin, but I hear it's fantastic, and he, I believe he also did In Brugge which if you've never seen that in Bruges, if you've never seen that, then yeah, go, go watch it. It's, it's great. Yeah. That's a fun one. Yes.
1: I agree with the Spielberg. I think it's just one of those time, like it's, it's more like a lineage thing. Like he's been around so long and it's time for him to just, they're like just honoring Spielberg at this point because yeah, like it's put a lifetime achievement award. Kind of like he's put out a, he put out this movie. It's his homage to like him. Uh, and I think it's just one of those, you know, you're the guy and you get the clout sort of situations at I me. And there's obviously some amazing films out there this year. Um, but I just think that it's Steven fucking Spielberg. Well, yeah. I
2: think, I think it takes a lot too, for an artist to really uh, show everybody the, his world and his life. I mean, it, he was, Pretty private for the most part. I mean, a lot of that stuff was known in some books and whatnot. But for him to just put himself out there, a lot of us would have a hard time doing that. Although he has 40 years of clout, you know, but a lot of us would have a really hard time doing that, being able to just expose ourselves in a film in this manner. So that's why I think he deserves it. But I would not be upset if Martin McDonough or if Daniel Kwan and the the Daniels for E E A A O won. Mm -hmm. That'd be awesome.
0: Yeah, that would be cool. All right. Best lead actor. I think this one's a shoe in. This one's easy, uh, but I got, I'll read them off anyway. Austin Butler for, for Elvis. Colin Farrell, the Banshees of an issue in. Seeing a lot of same ones here. Paul Mescal for After Bill Nighy for Living. Or what I think is the obvious winner the goat, Brendan Fraser for the whale.
2: The goat?
0: <laughs> I don't know. He's not the goat, but I mean, I everybody loves him. He's either, the
2: internet's darling, you know? <laughs> he's one of the internet's darling, but yes, <laughs> I agree with you. I think uh, he'll win in the whale. I saw that trailer because as I just went on a rant about trailers, um, I honestly, had just had no idea what it was. So I just wanted to see something and A24 hand- handles their films very well. So um, seeing even that trailer, I was like, oh my God, and I was getting choked up. It's yeah, I'm sure it's 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 an emotional ride that right. Have
1: you seen it? No, um, I'm we only have we've recently cut down drastically on our subscription base. And, you know, we've got prime. So because it's just super versatile. But yeah, we're limited really on what we're viewing these days. Uh,
0: well, when so. it comes out, see it. But I will say,
1: Brendan yeah, Fraser, it was, of course, he's the goat.
0: Yeah, his performance, <laughs> his performance was the was the whole thing. The, to be honest I, I I didn't love the movie like I thought I would but his performance was just magnetic there were there were some problems problematic things with the movie but I don't want to spoil anything so that's all I'll say okay lead actress Kate Blanchett for tar Anna Diarmas for blonde Anna or Andrea Riseborough to Leslie Michelle Williams for the fablemans or Michelle yo everything everywhere all at once Michelle yo yeah Michelle yo it's got to be her.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I think that a lot of things play into that. Most importantly, the fact that the film is obviously great. Um, but also the fact that there, you've seen over the last few years a lot of inclusionary power behind selection. And mm-hmm. I think that it, why not? Like, powerful. Yeah. Asians are dope and yeah, all should, people are great and let's just stop with it and just get it out of the way. Let's knock it out. Let's get a Hispanic well, in there. Let's like, the best Oscar, get like there's some
0: There's some foreign films and directors that are just doing amazing work like Parasite. Oh, um, <laughs> that shit was you know, so good. <laughs> yeah. Like we, we need to have more representation in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, Zach, would, you've been doing this podcast for a while, but not as long as you've been watching movies. So has doing your podcast changed the way that you watch movies or the way that you look at movies?
2: Oh, yeah, 100%. I think just the way that I can break it down. I mean, I've said this before, and it's not in an egotistical or condescending or cocky way, but I think that I watch movies uh, different than the average film watcher, movie watcher. Um and it's more in the sense of I love popcorn flicks. I like movies that I'm like, oh, I do not really get that. But then there are so many movies that I find myself trying to explain to my friends like nope, where I'm like, this just connected with me on, on such a cool level as, as a film fan. And Aaron's like, eh, it was okay. And I'm like, oh, dude, what do I have to do? It's a subjective thing. It's not a hard I, science. I, I understand. But what I'm saying is... To me and to my friend group of, of cinephiles who also speak the language I do, they we're all also on the same page. So it's just, it's a bummer because I'm like, Aaron, why aren't you seeing what I'm seeing with this film? <laughs>
0: it's incredible. But I mean, you, you mentioned to me, you know, in in a conversation earlier that you feel that Citizen Kane is not that entertaining of a movie or good of no, a movie. No. Like it's technically impressive for its time. But there's a lot of people like it's it's widely heralded. You know, sure. a lot of people would disagree with you. So it's so subjective. And I know I'm not saying it's not. I'm
2: just saying I wish that you could see what I see through my eyes. And it just comes to me very easy. I don't know how to buy a house. You know how to buy a house. There you go. Those are the differences. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Um, so if, if you guys were involved in the movie industry, I don't know if you've ever thought about that or if that's something that would interest you. But if you were, what what job in the film industry would you want to have?
1: Oh, right. can an, go first. I'd be an actor for sure. That, yeah. Why? Uh, well, one, I just really like portrayal. I'm you know, I'm an emotive person. I like portraying uh, story and helping influence people and providing perspective. And I think that it's a very powerful art form. And I've also had a lot of people suggest that I should do that anyway. Um, and I just it's just a beautiful thing to be able to share that with people and move move people emotionally. I'm a I'm big into that.
0: Yeah. Nice. What about you, Zach?
2: I would edit. I believe editing is how you make or break a film, honestly. I know everybody is is, is integral to the to the plot. Right. But <clears throat> or to the entire film, I should say. But I think editing is how you make or break your film. Um, there's some an art form to it. Even when I'm editing, you know, the podcasts and stuff, I really like it that I can take something and mold it into something that's better. So I think editing would be amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a, exactly true. For me, I would say a little bit of the technical side and a little bit of the in front of the camera side. Like part of me would love to be an actor. For one thing, they're usually the highest paid on set. But also, you know, it would just be cool, like Ryan said, to be able to transport yourself into a different persona and to get to see things from different perspectives, really, and learn. I think you do so much introspection and so much learning about yourself through portrayal of other people. And it's like doing personal development for for work and getting paid really well. So that would be cool. But I think also just being a director and getting to uh, lineups shots and uh, figure out the blocking and figure out, you know, the timing of it and making it, you're making a vision come to life like that in the way that a really um, aesthetically motivated director, like Wes Anderson is where, you know, you see a movie and you see, you know, it's Wes Anderson. If it's a Wes Anderson movie, I think it would be cool to have that level of, control over something where you can make your vision come to life
1: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah all right so weird transition we're not talking about movies anymore let's talk about something controversial uh although i think we're all pretty much going to agree for the most part some of us might get a little crazy but uh elon musk and his acquisition of twitter so for anybody who's been living under a rock elon musk went from being tony stark to being uh I don't even know what, but some sort of bastardization, (laughs) Uh, somebody who's become politically polarized and polarizing and he's become an online troll. And it's really disappointing me because I used to be a big fan of Elon Musk when he was like the space guy, and the electric car guy. And he's like kind of just quirky and he doesn't speak all that, you know, with, with a flourish. And then he's just slowly, I think, fallen into this different persona where he's getting so wrapped up in his image or whatever that he's kind of losing track of the vision that he came to the table with before of let's focus on real tangible things that we can do to improve human life, to advance human civilization, become multiplanetary all that stuff that he, you know, is reportedly about. Um, and ever since he's been involved in Twitter, I think that's what's done it. It's like he used to just tweet a lot, and he was a tweeter, and he would kind of poke fun at people. And then he buys it, and now he's in charge of it, and he's almost just become even more of a troll now. And I, I don't know if parts of that just because he likes getting a reaction to people, or if this, he's just really generally likes to stir the pot, or what. But it's correlated with a, a plummet in the Tesla stock. Like I used to own Tesla stock, and I'm glad I sold it back <laughs> in the day because like it's gone down seventy percent in the last year. That's insane. And, his investors are panicking, they're freaking out because he's not spending his time with Tesla and he's not spending his time with SpaceX. You know, he's distracted with protecting free speech on the internet and letting Donald Trump back on Twitter, which is, you know, a whole nother topic, but mm-hmm. it takes him away from his 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 mission. So that's how I see it. That's my perception of Musk. I think he really is going down the wrong path in terms of his image, in terms of the, the vision and the mission and uh, advancing humanity. Ryan, what do you think
1: of Elon Musk? I think that he is a human being and that he has done some exceptional things which put him on a platform that is really high. And therefore he takes an exceptional amount of criticism from people When he is still just a human being and he's flawed and he's going to make mistakes, he's going to deal with ego and the things that we all deal with on a daily basis. I think that he has been unrightfully attacked by those people, especially since he put himself on a platform and that's his own right. He put himself there. So he has a target. I think his goals are exactly what he has shown them to be. His actions have really spoken to that. He does want to help humanity. Uh, he's trying to do it in his way and with his vision. But the initial steps in Twitter didn't work out very well. I think that he also exposed a lot of high-ranking officials for the wrong that they did on a level. I mean the Twitter files? Yeah, on a societal level. So that engaged him to even more, uh, more fire. I don't know if you guys have seen spirited, but they basically turn that Ryan Reynolds character on him. And I Hmm. think that he has been under fire from those type of entities. And so some of it's just exceptional use of the social media power to break someone down and to, you know, dwindle them away. And he, he did that to himself. Um, But he took on a battle. He takes on giant things. He's, He shot rockets into space and then belly flopped them and landed them on the ground. Like he takes on giant battles and people criticize him for that at first. And then when he's successful after a few months, people shut the fuck up. And I think that when it's all said and done, he's going to do the same thing with Twitter. I actually think that his uh, friendship with Mr. Beast, who is a fantastic human being, is going to be super... Beneficial. I think that his involvement and in innovating and changing that platform is going to be good when it's all said and done. But initially, yeah, it's 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 a shit show. People are going to poke fun at it, and he he pokes the bear. He's a he's just he's a disruptor like the glass onion, and uh, you know that is what yeah. he does. Was
0: that character from Glass Onion not? Elon Musk. I mean, come on, that was kind of Elon it, Musk. It was, yeah, that's what it was supposed to be.
2: But then yeah. it was also supposed to be like um, Steve Jobs too, like in the flashback where he had the turtleneck and the jeans oh, yeah, and stuff. Oh yeah, So, I mean, obviously it was pretty on the nose, but.
0: I'm, so Zach, any rebuttal to what Ryan just said about how Elon Musk is the best person in the world?
2: You know, I honestly, I wish I could give this crazy, awesome opinion about it, but I unfortunately just don't know enough of the situation. I know what I see. I'm not dumb. I know everything that's been going on with Twitter. I knew it was very close to closing down, or so we thought. I know who Elon Musk is. I know of all his accomplishments and all his failures, but I don't have enough to necessarily speak my true opinion on. Um, The one thing I'll say is I can see from both of your arguments or both of your standpoints on it, I can pull pieces out of that and be like, yes, I agree with that. Um, But ultimately, I I just don't like the fact that he's using this as a platform for free speech, but then restricting certain things and then not restricting other things. And, you know, it's hard because you can't say total free speech, but then we have to also eliminate like hate words and these various things. I'm like, yeah, obviously those are good things to do. But he's just, I think he's crusading when he doesn't really have people behind him that are of anything that can benefit him. So I don't know. He might be digging his own grave. He might be. Ascending to the to the high heavens, who the fuck knows, right?
0: Yeah, and crusading was an interesting way to put it. I think I think that's really what he is doing. He's on a crusade, uh, probably in his own words. And I, I mean, Ryan, you said it very well as well. He's got a history of taking on huge challenges and coming out on top. If you look at his track record, from PayPal to um, to Tesla to SpaceX, you know he's got a lot of other projects. There were some that kind of fizzled, like the Hyperloop, um, and then the, the solar panel roof. Tile system, uh, Solar City—I think it was what it's called—just kind of didn't, hasn't gone anywhere. But yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue with the results. He's—he was for a time by far the world's richest man, uh, which he's now slipped because of the stock price of Tesla. But he's—I think he's still sleeping okay. I don't know if he's losing any sleep over that.
1: (laughs) He sleeps in his office most of the time, from what he says. But you know,
0: (laughs) yeah, just like like the Twitter developers. (laughs) Yeah, but but his office is in his bedroom, so it's true. His yeah. office is a house. Yeah. I mean, he's probably all the, he's probably in the bedroom all the time. Cause he's got like 10 kids. So he, I don't know how he has right? time for anything else.
1: i am talking about repopulate busy, the world. One man at a time, boy. him and Nick Cannon. They
0: can Yeah. <laughs> With their forces combined. We're unstoppable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There. Yeah. They have a good track record too. So speaking of Twitter, there was a pretty epic showdown, a little spat between, uh, Andrew Tate. Who's a online, uh, influencer, I guess he, yeah. he targets like uh, kind of right wing, lonely, single men who have esteem issues, I think <laughs> like that's his, not to be not to be too blunt, but I mean, that's, that's the examples I keep seeing on Twitter, of people defending him. It's all these, uh, you know, maybe men without too many other options in life. So they, they cling to somebody who tells them that it's everybody's fault. I don't know. That's just how I see it. This guy seems like a misogynist douchebag, and he's, he's telling all these guys that their their lives are not their fault because it's women, and and they're you know they you have you're entitled to certain things, and it's uh, it's all silly and stupid. And it turns out he's a massive piece of shit who uh, was sex trafficking women in Romania. And I loved how it didn't take more than a week after Greta Thunberg absolutely <laughs> went scorched earth. On him on Twitter, um, and totally destroyed him. That he self taught told on himself. He tattled on himself by having a pizza box in a video that was unique to a certain area, so the police were able to, to track his location and arrest him. Like, how dumb do you have to be, Andrew Tate? Apparently, yeah. And uh, so, what do you guys know about this guy, if anything? And what's your uh, What's your perspective on how this all went down?
1: Uh, I didn't know anything about Andrew Tate until Greta Thunberg. Mm-hmm. That's how important he was to me and my circle. And then I dug into it and I was like, wow, this is like Andrew Jones is like Padawan. <laughs> like, what is this guy? Like he's, you mean he Alex Jones? A, yeah. Alex Jones. Alex yeah. Jones another Padawan. guy. Yeah. Whatever. Like he's like, he's like, I don't know. He's a horrible human being that I didn't understand how he got to where he is. It's like, I don't know. It made me kind of sad for, I mean, society's weird to me. Yeah, supposedly he was like a championship
0: kickboxer. And then I don't know if he has a wealthy family or if he built all his money from just social media and getting people to follow him, but he would always post his videos of his Lamborghinis and and whatnot. And in fact, that's what started the the fight between he and and Greta. but yeah, it's like, why are these guys getting rewarded, you know, financially? Why is it that the the girl who's been fighting and, and advocating for, you know, the environment and, and the ecological health that she's not, you know, I mean, maybe she's doing well off because of this, I don't know, but she's certainly not, you know, buying 10 Lamborghinis and have a hundred million followers on Instagram. What does that say about society? I mean, I was just, yeah, the only thing I have to
2: say is I I thought it was, it's fun that, you know, we have Twitter. Twitter can be uh, real, people can be captious about it, um, but it can also bring joy and like moments of togetherness with it. I mean, I have friends that I met from Twitter. And so on days like that, when Twitter is blowing up with all these things and you really don't know, because I was the same way as Ryan, like going in and being like, who the hell is Andrew Tate? But then being able to read when people are posting articles and subtweeting and retweeting and doing all that stuff. And then you're just kind of seeing, Oh, then he said this about Greta Thunberg like before. And so you're like, Oh shit. Now he got caught because of Jerry's pizza and all this craziness. I think it's so fun when the internet bands together like that. And it's a collective like middle finger to these, uh, to him, because the only people like Aaron are talking about that are following him are people of nothingness. Like they mean absolutely nothing. (laughs) Um, damn if, if they're going to fuck them if they're going to if they're going to support a person like andrew tate and try to give him any justification for sex trafficking and probably tons of assault and other crazy things that guy can go to hell man he's he's a he's a real real piece of work so yeah it's uh that's all i gotta say about that <laughs> yeah
1: i think it's Russell. funny in a, in a, in, a, in a, that aspect of what you said absolutely on point what i get about society though is they do that when the veil is unfolded yep. like before the veil was unfolded we still knew he was a misogynistic douchebag and we still made him and elevated him to this level and a lot of his money probably came because he was selling women on the side but like mm. we still elevated him socially and gave him a hundred million followers and we do that with people all across the internet all over the the, the paul brothers come on man
0: oh, bro. they're yeah. just horrible
1: kids man they're horrible Terrible. kids they're not good influences on anyone, and they're making it and showing the future generations that, hey, if you want to make it, go be an absolute douchebag on the internet and we'll yeah. pay you. That's or why you, can you can see be all these Beast. prank
0: videos you on go. YouTube where people will like go up to somebody on the street and like slap a copy out, coffee out of their hands, be like, oh, it's just a prank, bro. Like, because they think <laughs> that they're gonna get a bunch of views on Instagram or wherever <laughs> they post it. You know, it's like. So treating each other shitty is just okay now if it brings you some return.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a horrible image and that's what really gets me about it. And then you got like Greta Thunberg who is a, you know, you you could, I think even at this early stage in her life, her young life, you could even start, there's already comparisons. She's on like Martin Luther King, like all these activist levels, like she's trying to put herself out there in the line of fire to change the world for a positive reason. And you know what, she's just a young girl that isn't flashy, you see her wearing regular clothes out at activist situations, and she's not blown up. We don't have, you know, forums that are talking about her as frequently as you would think it would be, especially in this state of time.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure she doesn't have like a Twitch channel or like a YouTube (laughs) where it's like, hey guys, it's Greta Thunberg, you know, like, (laughs) she's not doing it for the attention. It's all these people that don't add anything. They're just gesticulating and word vomiting out in the internet and often saying really terrible things. And, but they get reaction. It's all, it doesn't even have to be a good thing. It's just sometimes the worst things get the biggest reaction. So people are incentivized to say worse and worse things. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. All right, let's move on. Cause we could talk about that for two hours. So Zach, you, there's a show that, that you like. I think you've seen it a few times, and you you say it's the most bingeable show of all time, but you can't be talking about The Office, can you?
2: Yes, Aaron, I'm talking about The Office. Uh, It is the most bingeable TV show of all time. I am not a person who binges TV. In fact, television shows are not my favorite. I have a good selection of them, but I am not one of those people that watches TV. Whenever I tell people I watch movies, a lot of people are like, well, I'm more into television shows. And one of the reasons I, I you know, I'm, I'm like, why? And they go, well, because a movie, you know, just so long. And then I'm like, well, how many episodes of a show do you watch? Like, well, four, I'm like, so four hours of a TV show is OK. Anyways, yeah, um, with me, I think that I discovered the show back actually when we were in college and the office just really hit me in, in, in all the levels and the feels. And I think a lot of it also happened, you know, like when we were growing up, and, and we got to see the final season when we were in college and stuff. So we were able to see it live on TV, and now it's just um, recycled on Peacock. Um, and mm-hmm. then you could, if you own it, you know, I, I watch it on Voodoo sometimes, but I've watched it in its entirety about eight times. I literally okay. put it on in the background and just let it play, and I'll well, know. It doesn't count. How does that not count? I'd stop at a lot, actually, and I'll be like, oh, this is part or I'll, I'll be I'll know what the line is that they're going to say, or I know a funny part's coming up, so I'll stop working real quick and I'll turn around so I can get a chuckle and then keep doing it. I think that it encapsulates just how a modern work place is. And I think we've all worked in a modern workplace, not necessarily just an office, but I'm talking a restaurant, a grocery store, uh, what have you, right? you 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 can draw from that kind of stuff, and you know what an office setting would be like or just a work environment is like. and you can you can pull comparisons from from the show versus um you know, our own work, like things that we have every day. Everyone knows someone or has worked with someone who's like a Kevin or like an Angela or a Pam, the office hottie, or you know, <laughs> an Andy Bernard who is just annoying as shit and makes up nicknames for people or, everyone, and I would guarantee everyone has known a Michael Scott. Hmm. Michael Scott is is one of my favorite characters of all time. He is the kindest person and he means the best, but he is just so cringy and he doesn't understand social cues. And it's just it's a lot. Um, He thinks he's trying to do the best thing in the sake of comedy. But like he has (laughs) he's not necessarily street smart, but he pulls something else out that that gets him to be book smart when it comes to sales. So it could be the other way around. But I think it's I don't even think he's street smart, (laughs) like he's Mm, that he's that crazy.
0: So it's it's weird, man. Um, But I don't I, I feel like Michael Scott, in a way, he's probably a narcissist the way that David Brent was in the UK office, because like his lack of social awareness, he has no idea that the things he's saying are inappropriate that it's, it's in a way the trait of a narcissist to not consider how your words are going to be impacted because it's what you're saying is the most important, you know? So what if he's actually a villain?
2: Well, I mean, perception. Sure. There are some people that don't, that Michael Scott doesn't uh, rub them the right way. I think they're missing the point of it. Um, I know that he says some controversial things, but that's, that's the exact point. Every, you're supposed to be like, um, because we all know people that are like that. I don't know. I don't think he's a narcissist, um, but it, I mean, what what you said, it does make sense. I won't discredit exactly what you're saying. I just don't feel that he's a narcissist. It might be portrayed that way, but on the inside, he really, he deeply cares about the people around him and he, he just wants to be loved, man. At the end of the day, that's all it comes down to.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's a malicious narcissism. It's just like it, it shows that he doesn't have that ability to look at things through other people's eyes,
2: you know? I think he tries, but it's it's, yeah, it's a lot easier said than done. Yeah, but yeah, the show, I mean, the, dude, the show it was atrocious when it started and somehow it just it picked up and it blew up the final nine seasons. Pretty much Steve Carell was the person who kept it going um, and he became a big movie star after that because 40 year old virgin uh, premiered in the second season and the show just kind of blew up. The final two seasons are a little, eh, but I still like them. And those are, of course, when Michael Scott left. But you know, it's, it's not too bad. It's the, it's the reason I had Netflix, man. It's the only reason I was paying for Netflix, um, like a couple of years ago or whatever was Mm. because they took it out in 2020, I believe. And so I had to buy it and then it was available on Peacock, but yeah, it's, it's just, I, I quote it almost every day. And I, I, if you just type a type the office, like a meme will pop up for any situation you could probably ever think of.
0: Yeah, it is by far, I think the most quotable show of all time. Like there's Mm -hmm. been other shows that are similar that nobody quotes like Parks and Rec, you know, like nobody ever. Well, some people probably do quote Parks and Rec, but everybody knows a Michael Scott line or, or a Ryan line or, you know, um, or Creed or Dwight, you know, I think Dwight's got some of the best quotable lines. Ryan, did you watch the office a lot?
1: You know, I did not. My wife dislikes The Office. Ooh. And backwards. I'm married, so I watch things that my wife likes, and I don't really have other TV time. I'm I'm far too... I just got other things on my plate, so when I have TV time, it's with my wife. Otherwise, I don't watch TV. Like, it,
0: well, that's, Why doesn't it she sucks. like The Office? Hmm. I
1: don't know.
2: Yeah, I'm curious to hear that. It's It's interesting, <laughs> like... I could I could probably understand a few reasons, but I'm almost just curious, like if she's if she gave up after the first season or something, because it it is rough. First season is definitely rough, but there are some awesome moments in the first season as well. And you appreciate them a lot more.
1: I think she didn't have the background like I you know what I've seen of it. I like you were saying with the relativity, like relating to it. But like she's never really had jobs or a life that would you know, enamor her to have any relative like connection to the show. So some of it just might skip her. She's been a massage therapist and that's what she is. She's a massage nice. therapist. Like, so some of this office stuff and the humor and, you know, getting at if you don't have that experience, you, I mean, if you don't have that, you're missing it. You're like, you're missing it the whole episode. You're like, I don't get why that 30 minutes was supposed to make me laugh. You know? So, I think in that reason that she might miss it and then she's just really picky. She's got, Mm. she likes what she likes. She doesn't like what she doesn't like. And quite often I have to force her out of her comfort zone to Mm. embrace new things. Sometimes it works. Sometimes I'm a loser.
0: Yeah. I think it's also like, Sophie, my partner also is not a fan of the office and has never really watched it. And I think it's because when it first was coming out, she was too young to really to watch it and appreciate yep, it, whereas we it. were of college age. So, you know, that was back in 2007, you know, 2006. That's when it started coming out, maybe even a little bit earlier than that. So and the the style of comedy and some of the jokes that are in there from back then don't fly anymore.
2: No, they you don't. don't age, they don't age well. <laughs> yeah.
0: Like when he goes, Oscar, you're gay. Boom. Roasted. You know, I mean.
2: Well, oh, but he wasn't. It's oh, well. I don't want to go. We we can have a really long discussion about that because I don't think that's offensive. I think the the things when he does ping, like the the Asian coworker, oh, um, yeah. that's obviously you know not okay. But again, to counter that, that's the entire point of it. Everyone in the office are like cringing. How many times are they always? He always says something to Stanley. He's like, "Do you want to go hang with your your people down there, or your boys down there?" And he like looks, and <laughs> they always just do this mm-hmm. look at Stanley. He's like, "Are you kidding me?" But it's that sense of the office, it encapsulates just basically the social re- social realism of work. And so we all have bosses that have done things like that or coworkers that have done things like that, that have had Michael Scott moments. And if you've worked around them long enough, you're just kind of like, that's them. I mean, you give a gym look and you're like, I'm not really going to do anything else. Yeah. So I, I think... It- even no matter what setting of, of, of work you're in, I still think you can draw from it unless you like are an entrepreneur and you, you know, work by yourself or something like that. But, um, yeah, it's, I I think it's relatable. Right. And I think it's, I think it's relatable to, well, and you work from home,
0: you've worked from home for a long time. Like you haven't been in an office setting in a long time. Me? Yeah.
2: Oh yeah. I still go in the office though. The office has been open for like a year plus. So I go in, um, Typically once a week uh, and it's, I love it. It's, it's fun to go in, but I also love working from home and I can tell you I've had jobs in the office and you just know people or like jobs in retail and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, that's, this is that type of person that comes and tell you, jo- tells you jokes and they're inappropriate and you're just mm-hmm. like, oh, you shouldn't yeah. say
0: that. <laughs> but in the future, as more and more people are work from home, assuming that trend continues, I wonder if people are going to lose that, you know, if, if the office would be less relevant because n- yeah. f- fewer oh, people. Yeah. 100%. Will- connect with
2: him. it would just have to be video conference it'd be like people on yeah. zoom doing things like oh aaron always talks he's always gonna say a question at the end of the meeting or something like that i, th- was, I know I he's think not there wearing
1: pants show. he's just wearing yeah. a shirt he's on, no pants under there
0: that's my work uniform but yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think there was a show during the pandemic about that i don't remember what it was called but it was about like people video conferencing and, and stuff which is really meta and strange sounds boring
1: they could yeah. totally do like no the, the, think about this they could reboot the office Oh, With a video conference version,
0: just every every week on the Zoom, totally everybody's a little bit the fatter, thing. their beard's <laughs> a little bit scragglier.
1: Yeah, Steve Carell's sitting there and he's got like his like you know somebody's painting his toes while he's like I don't know <laughs> it's going.
0: That doesn't sound like a Michael Scott thing to do, <laughs> but um yeah. So so it's a feel good show exactly you said it's like a comfort blanket for you where it's in the background and it's, it's recognizable and nostalgia and all that do you guys have any other shows that are like that for you ryan uh
1: the greatest showman it's not a show but it is in my opinion the greatest thing ever filmed or recorded i listened to the soundtrack only what? the sound only the soundtrack with the actors doing the singing the rendition nice. shit sucks it's it, what they did in that movie was transcendent to me from an audio, visual, theatrical standpoint. I think it's the greatest. It, it's so motivational. It's endearing. It's evoking. Okay, but how high were you when you watched it? Oh, dude, I've watched it like thirty times. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's for me as an entrepreneur, it, it, and someone that cares about like humanity and the future of where we're going. To me, it's the fucking Bible. It's about the circus, though. No, dude, you need to watch it high. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, that it, was my problem, I guess. It, it's not. It's, it's it's not about the circus at all. Like at all. If you watch that and you got that, it's about the circus. Well, well maybe that's I was sad. too high.
2: <laughs> uh, what about you, Zach? Uh, that are like my comfort blankets. Well, I mean, a lot of stuff that we've seen before, right? I'm not gonna watch something once. And call it a comfort blanket because I don't know how it's going to how it's going to unfold. Um, I'm rewatching The Wire, and it's still arguably one of the greatest shows of all time. It's in the pantheon of best TV shows of all time. And I cannot believe how good it is. this second viewing through. I'm just like encapsulated by it so that uh, The Simpsons, I would say I can quote The Simpsons like, you know, like no other um, things like Rick and Morty. Keep that on the background, too. So like a lot of animated stuff. Um I don't really have. Oh, I put It's Always Sunny on in the background sometimes, too. So those are like when I want to watch them. They're just they're comfortable. You know, you you don't have to commit to something too heavy and you can just put it on. In terms of movies, Clue is a comfort ba- blanket for me. Um, anything with Arnold Schwarzenegger is like a comfort blanket for me. Anything Batman related is. I just I put that Sounds on. Like you I, got a lot of blankets. Oh, yeah. oh dude, yeah. I love blankets. They're great. <laughs> they're like, in I, a closet of blankets. Get them at Costco. <laughs>
0: You've got a cornucopia of blankets. No, Um, I would say other feel-good shows. Definitely the Good Place. So I don't know if you guys have watched it, but the Good Place. You know, (laughs) it's it's not like the greatest show ever by any means, but it's funny and it's easy to watch, and the characters are all, uh, you know, there's something to like in each one, and it's not offensive or uproarious or it gets you real high or real low, but it always leaves you like happy or feeling better. You know, it's just a little ray of sunshine. And another one that's like the exact opposite, which is not, I would say, a comfort blanket, but a show I know I can always watch and and not be bored by, or if they feel like it gets old, is Band of Brothers. Mm. I know it's a mini series, not technically a TV show, but I've seen it probably five, four or five times, and that's a lot. I don't usually rewatch stuff, um, and I read the book, and it's just, it's so amazing. You know, even back then when that came out, the level of detail and the and the production values and the quality of work that HBO was able to do with Band of Brothers,
1: it's just like unparalleled to me.
2: It's yeah. a good one. Band of Brothers is excellent.
1: Yeah, The Good Place. It's one of my wife's favorite. And mm. that's how I ended up watching it. And Kristen Bell. I just Kristen Bell. Like She's. Oh, yeah. She's, she's hilarious. She's, she's just great as a human. Like, even like when she's not in something, just an interview, like it's just like, I want to hang, she's one of those people that you want to hang out with because you know, mm. it's a good time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so she's married to Dak Shepard, who has the <laughs> podcast Armchair Expert, which I listen to all the time. And it's like, if, if I didn't listen to this podcast, I had, I would have no idea how, how deep he is, you know, like he's very knowledgeable. He studied anthropology and he's a very uh, emotionally vulnerable and honest and transparent person. And um, he's a great interviewer. And has really interesting people on his show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they just got a bump from us. They're going to get a couple more, more listeners now. Cause I, you know, all our listeners are going to go over and start listening to them.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> so anyways, uh, that's going to wrap it up guys. I really appreciate you both being on here and spending an hour with me talking about random stuff. Uh, I appreciate both of you as people and as friends and your perspectives on everything, even when you're wrong about one thing or another, uh, <laughs> Anything you guys want to plug or say in closing?
2: Okay, yeah, sure. Um, So I have a podcast. It's called the Don't Be Crazy Podcast. It's available on all streaming platforms. Um, It is also on Twitter at dbcrazypod. I have Twitter, and that is at ZachDale60. Zach is Z-A-C-H, and Dale is just how you'd spell it. Um, but yeah, you can hit me up and, uh, share suggestions for films that we should watch. You can tell me how much you loved or hated movies. Uh, we're not going to do the fountain. You're going to do, do the fountain. like Darren Aronofsky. He's, he's quite good. Oh, you would um, like it. That's also probably why you like the whale so much too, though. Cause no, I said didn't. it wasn't
0: as I, I was expecting to like it a lot and I didn't like it as much as I expected. Yeah. But see, this is exactly why we should do the fountain. It would be a great repartee. Um, Maybe. Ryan. Hit us with um, a plug.
1: Yeah, yeah. So obviously, risecbd.com, R Y E S C B D.com. Check us out. If you have any questions, please reach us at the contact email that's located there. But also, I have a podcast as well. I just didn't shout it out because it's just something I do for fun. It's Rise Up, R Y E S U P. You can find it on Spotify, uh, Google, Apple, Anchor. Uh, most of them, I'm not quite as well versed as Zach is over here at slaying them all. But, um, you know, we talk about political, societal change and moving forward and rising up, uh, kind of inspired by the quote from Martin Luther King in a dream uh, speech when he's like rise up and know the true meaning of our creed um, and talking about equality, how we can get there, the things that we can do um, and just me in general and, you know, put myself out there, letting you see who I am. So feel free to you know, join the conversation. It's also just like uh, the full spectrum. We're just trying to start conversation. We want to talk about things and involve as many people as possible because the greatest thing we have to share is our perspective. Uh, we can change the world by sharing it and we can save people hardships by sharing it. So why not? Let's do it.
0: There you go. Well said, my man. All right. Thank you both again for coming on the podcast and thank you everybody for listening. Bye-bye.